But before we read all those scriptures, you can see there's a pretty hefty list. God talks about how we talk, the power of the tongue, the power of speech, all of these things many, many times. And please hear me, that's not an exhaustive list you have in your hands there. There is many more scriptures that could be applied. And yet, we think of this as a little deal or no big deal. So I'm going to ask you to do something today as we discuss this, as we think through this. And I'm serious. I really want you to be conscious of this in your own mind because I can assure you that it's going to happen with some of you. But I really want you to take mental note of every single time that you internally think, yeah, but that's not me. Or, yeah, but I don't mean it that way. Yeah, but God knows my heart. Because those are the justifications that we start making when we think about using our speech, when we think about how we don't think it's a huge deal the way we talk, we start making these excuses and justifications. In Romans 13, 14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What part of that means I can toe the line and start asking the question, what can I say and how close to the line can I get and how close to sin can I get without calling it sin? Because I can assure you the closer to sin you get, the farther from Jesus you're getting, even if you're not sinning. The closer you get to that line, the farther you're getting from Jesus. So let's stop asking that question. We are to make no provisions for sin in our lives, no matter how small they may seem. If we are truly putting off the old self, and putting on the new self, even small sins should start becoming repugnant to us. It should start having a stench in our lives that we don't want any part of. So asking how close to the line can I get should not be part of the Christian walk. And the reason I'm asking you to take note of this is because I know these are natural reactions to what I'm about to say today. The reason I know they're natural reactions is because these are the reactions I had all week preparing for this sermon. I've been mulling this sermon over for a while Long story, I've been trying to work ahead on this sermon for a lot of reasons of of things that are coming up in my life. So for three weeks now, I've been thinking through my speech because I knew I was going to be preaching on this. And let me tell you, it wasn't pretty. Realizing what my speech has done, many if not all of you in this room have heard me say things that would fall under the umbrella of corrupting talks. So before you think I'm preaching at anyone here, I can assure you I'm preaching at myself. We all need to hear this. I began cutting myself off mid-sentence. I have become convicted about the way I say things, the jokes I make, the jokes I laugh at, my tone, my intention behind what I'm saying, all of these things. And before that starts making you feel better, oh, Pastor Justin struggles with this too. Remember that you are not judging yourself against me. You are judging yourself against Jesus and God's word. And we are going to dive into what we what we see here. But we all tend to look at this as a smaller issue of the faith. We would we faith. We would define corrupting talk as language issues. As long as we're not saying the big ones, G D and the F bomb, let's all be honest, those are the two that all of us probably mark off our list. But the other ones are that's where we start towing the line, right? So as long as we're not doing that or we're not making racist or off-color sexual jokes, all the other ones are in bounds. And even some of those are in bounds, right, if we're surrounded by the right people. If the people know our heart, they know we don't really mean this. Man, is it funny, right? 
That's what we're talking about here. And I'm here to tell you, if you truly believe that it's no big deal the words we say and the thoughts that we have that manifest themselves into words, then you are walking dangerously close to the edge. It is much more than a few off-limit words. There is no doubt, looking through Scripture, looking through the whole of God's Word, that God clearly sees this as a major issue. He clearly sees this as a command worth repeating over and over and over again. So therefore, we should not gloss over it either. We'll talk about why it's such a major issue in a a few moments. But first, I, I do think it's important to define and discuss what Ephesians is even talking about here. It says, corrupting talk. It's not really language we use. Hey, that's some corrupt talk you got going on there, brother. Maybe you should clean that up. We don't say that. There is no debate debate among theologians that the word used here is the same word that's used in Matthew 7, meaning rotten. When, when Jesus is talking about a rotten tree bearing rotten fruit, this is the same word. So you could read this passage, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth. So let's hit quickly a few examples uh, just baseline examples and then we'll talk about a few more intricate ones but here's the thing one way rotten talk can manifest itself is by belittling things that should never be belittled think about these phrases and please hear me I'm only saying these not for effect I'm saying these so we know what we're talking about holy cow oh my god what the hell Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Every person in here probably wouldn't think twice about saying those phrases. And these are examples of making light of things that should never be taken lightly. God's holiness is not a thing to be trifled with. And it does not apply to a cow. It does not apply to a moly, whatever that is. So we should not trifle with God's holiness. We should not trifle with the fact that God is completely other and completely separate. Saying saying holy, fill in the blank, is trifling with the fact that God is holy. It is saying it about something that it does not apply to. Saying, oh my God, as an exclamation and not as a praise, falls into this same category. God's name should never be used in a way that makes him seem less than, makes him seem unholy, or makes him seem like a curse word. There's an episode of Friends. That's where you should get all of your theology, by the way. Episode of Friends where it comes out later in life that for years they have been using Monica's name as a word for failure, right? They call it pulling a Monica when somebody messes something up, right? She doesn't like this very much. Why? Because no one wants their name associated with failure, with disgust, with negativity, with, oh, you messed that up? That's a Justin. I don't want that put on me. I don't want that bad juju, Ricky Bobby. I don't want any of that put on me and my name. So when you step on a Lego in the middle of the night, utter this phrase, oh, my God, clean up your toys. In what way have you given God any honor in that moment? You've uttered his name, and you're not talking to him or about him. And you're definitely not talking to him in a way of honor and respect. In what way have you revered his name? God is not just some guy on friends. He is the holy creator of the universe and the savior of your souls. May we treat his name the way it should be treated. 
And I know some of you are already thinking, man, I use that, but what's really the big deal? I can assure you God's name is a big deal to him. The Jewish people took the second commandment of not using his name in vain so literally, they wouldn't say it even in good ways. They came up with a new word. This is You've all heard the word Adonai probably in praise and worship music. Guess where that came from? They didn't want to say Yahweh because they were afraid they might accidentally possibly say it in a way that was not honoring to God. And we throw it around because we don't have Wi-Fi at Starbucks, even though we just paid $15 for our venti blah, 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 because I don't know what any of those things are called. Right? But we say it when little things happen. We say it when something just doesn't go our way or our kids are acting up. Hell and damnation, same exact way. These things should never be taken lightly. And please hear me. I was told at an early age not to say, oh my God. But these other things, I don't know why, but they were somewhat allowed or okay as I was growing up. So these have still made it into their vocab my vocabulary thinking, well, the Bible says the word hell. So I can say it, right? The Bible talks about hell, all right. And it is a terrible and an awesome place that we should not trivialize. If we truly believe that there are people going there, deserved sinners are going there for eternal torment and eternal punishment, we should not take that lightly. We should never utter these phrases unless we are telling someone, hey, I don't want you to go to hell. Therefore, I'm going to tell you about the gospel. We should never trivialize these things. Now, for words we currently know as curse words. I'm not going to utter any of those in case anybody was wondering. This is more of a perception thing than anything else, and yet it is still such a big deal. I've used that excuse before. Well, these words didn't even exist when Jesus was around, so therefore they got to be okay. These exact specific words weren't even words when Jesus was walking around. We just made them up later, so what does it really matter if I say them? And yet there is a perception surrounding these words that carries with them an air of rottenness. It just has a stench. When you hear someone just utter one of these things just off the cuff like that, it ought to, it should make you kind of go, oh, I didn't know that was coming. It, they have a, a an air of rottenness. How are we to build up and give grace that we will talk about here in just a few moments if these are the words we are using? Please hear me. I know your reaction. But sometimes you can use them in a positive way. True-ish. But imagine if I was saying up here, God is the stuff, but I use the other word, the perception y'all would have that I'm preaching and saying those words. If I had repeated any of those curse words just now, who, who in here would have been like, oh, I respect that guy. Now realize I'm not called to any higher calling than any of you in this room in this regard. My language doesn't have to be any better than yours as a pastor. Yes, I'm supposed to be above reproach. Guess what you are as a Christian, supposed to be above reproach. So imagine the perception you would have if I was up here using these words. Even in a positive way. Rotten trees bear rotten fruit. Rotten words give off an atmosphere of rottenness. Rotten fruit has no benefit. If you eat it, you get sick. Rotten words are the same way. They give off an air of rottenness, and we should never use them. We should never trivialize something that shouldn't be trivialized, and we shouldn't use words that we know have a perception and air, a stench 
of rottenness. So Paul follows this same pattern he's been following since verses 22 and 24. Put off and put on. Put off rotten speech. But surely he's not talking about what Eric's mom would refer to as bathroom words. Surely that's not all he's talking about. Is that included? Yes, I think we've just covered that. But that's not the only thing he is talking about here. You see, as, as preachers or as someone preparing a sermon, there's almost always more than really you can convey in a, in a reasonable amount of time. So you've always got to kind of put things on the cutting room floor. So today, there are many categories that I think can be covered in what's, what is being referred to here as corrupting talk or rotten speech. Some of those I will cover and some of those I won't. It is called contextualization. It is what I think we all need to hear here. And some of the things some of you may need to hear, but I, I believe these things are the things that we need to hear in here today. So just know that that is happening. So as I am talking about these next categories, many of you are going to go, is he talking about me? Yes, I am. And I'm talking about me too. And if you feel convicted about these things, I want you to, you can email me later if you want, you can text me whatever, and use some of these words if you want to, to tell me how you feel about it. But just know that conviction is probably not coming from me. It's coming from the Holy Spirit to let you know that these things may apply in your life and that you are, have been ignoring them. And that is a gracious thing by God to do. And this is huge. I want you to understand at Mission Church, if if this just flies all over you today, if you just think, man, he is really talking about me and I really have messed this thing up, there is nothing but grace for you here. There is nothing but grace from your pastors. There is nothing but grace from the other members of this church. There is nothing but grace for you in this category. And there is nothing but grace from God through Jesus. If you truly repent of even these things, God the Father is faithful to forgive and God the Spirit is faithful to sanctify through these things. You see, this is, uh, we talk about respectable sins. It's one of the books that we have used to prepare some of these sermons. And this is one of them. This is one of those issues that just flies under the radar for a long time. Because everyone thinks it's a small issue. So when they hear you do it, they don't call you out on it. Then you don't feel the conviction of it then nobody really says anything and it just kind of flies under the radar and we're all either doing it or accepting it or tolerating it and nothing is ever done about it. Then it comes to light, like some sermon that's being preached in the library, it comes to light and you think, man, I really do need to change a few things that I say or how I say them or what I'm saying in this situation or, or blah, blah, blah. But then it just easily creeps back in because of the very same reasons I just named because you'll start doing it again little by little and not really think anything of it, oh, it's no big deal, no one calls you out on it, and then you're back on the slippery slope. So, I have become acutely aware of this this week. I've really started to measure my words, and yet, I can also confess to you right now that there were times that I literally just flat out ignored the Holy Spirit's calling. And I use the excuse usually, but this one's really, really funny, and they won't care. The person I'm saying it to, they won't think any less of me. They won't think I'm any less 
uh, above reproach. They won't think anything of me because of the context. And man, is it funny. Two things have usually happened. One, it wasn't all that funny. And two, I have started feeling it doesn't really matter what they think. It doesn't matter their perception. It matters what God's word said. And here's the thing. This is sin. This is not something we... I know we've laughed a little bit in here. We'll probably laugh more thinking about some of these things. But it's sin. It's that dirty word that we don't like to acknowledge in our lives. And it's no less sin because I'm a pastor. It is no less sin because it was just a joke. It is no less sin because people did laugh at times. It's no less sin because they didn't think anything of it. It is no less sin because everyone makes these jokes or everyone talks this way. It's just normal now. If you want to reach the culture, you've got to be a kind of part of the culture. So you've got to talk this way. God's word would say, no, you don't. It is a sin. And just like holiness, hell, damnation, sin should never be taken lightly or frivolously. I, we must fight this drift. We must fight this sin. <coughs> But to fight it, we got to be aware of what it is. We got to be aware of what corrupting talk he's talking about, and what corrupting talk creeps in unnoticed. And I think this is this is based off of what he says in the second half of the sentence. But I firmly believe that what he's talking about here in corrupting talk, yes, some of it is just the words we use, but he's talking about tearing down, tearing down others, tearing down people that we are surrounded with or tearing down ourselves but put off speech that is not good for building up because how do i context clues what does he tell us to put on right after this speech that builds up and gives grace we'll cover that but he's talking about tearing down speech here tearing down others taking joy in others being torn down everyone here loves i don't know i'm the only, i'm probably the only sinner that watches them or watched them can't watch them now because of this but the comedy central roasts where they just put somebody on stage and everyone makes fun of them for like an hour and a half and they just have to kind of sit there and take it why do we like those though because we enjoy watching other people's people get torn down it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves Ben Shapiro, people like this in the political aspect. When you see a, a YouTube video, Ben Shapiro destroys social justice warrior on this issue or whatever. What do we do? I'm going to watch that because I bet that person gets made to look stupid. doesn't matter what political side you're on. If someone makes the other side look bad, we enjoy that, right? We enjoy watching people get torn down. And that's old self-thinking. This is what Paul is telling us to put off. We should not take joy in watching others get torn down. We should not take joy in tearing others down. So how do we see this tearing down manifest in our lives? This is where it will be handy to have that insert if you if you got one. Uh, it will have the verses on it as we go. One way, crass or crude joking. These almost always take the form of some sexual innuendo or some uh, group of people are singled out based on their stereotype. Whether it's true or not, we are grouping people together and making a joke of it, and people laugh, and we don't really think anything of it. Ephesians 
says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. When we make these jokes, when we laugh at these jokes, we are taking something that God has created in sex and making it a punchline. And let's all be honest, the crasser, the, word, the crasser, the funnier, the more we laugh at it. The, the crass joking being funny level has risen in today's culture. It just It's like a drug. You just got to take more and more of it, and the level just keeps going up, and now nothing seems to be off limits. Putting down a group of people who God loves and made in His image and grouping them together in the name of humor should have no place in a new life Christian, in a new self-Christian. Not even saying they're not funny. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm telling you is we should fight the drift speaking them, and we should pray that the Holy Spirit makes it not funny to us anymore because we take joy in something greater. We take joy in someone being built up, not someone being torn down. And this takes work. This is not going to happen today. You're not going to be hear, hear a joke and be like, that's not even funny. You're still going to think it's funny. We should pray that the Holy Spirit strengthens and empowers us and moves us closer to the Jesus line and farther away from I'm going to toe the line. This is what we are talking about, that God would renew our hearts fully so that we don't even find the humor in them anymore. The second way this tearing down comes about, get your steel toes on, is sarcasm. I literally take pride in the fact that I can come up with a sarcastic comment at any point of any, any conversation. I would consider that, until now, a good thing about me. Man, he's, he's got quips for everything. He's got jokes for everything. He can make a, a joke. My sister has a shirt. She wore it just this week. It says, my love language is sarcasm. And I thought it was funny until this week. Because that's what I think of myself. And I wonder now... If people are looking at me like, man, he can't take anything seriously. I'm trying to have a real conversation with him, and he wants to make sarcastic jokes. And now I know why it matters. Please hear me. I'm not trying to ruin all your fun. Their sarcasm as a whole is not always wrong in and of itself. There is a place for fun banter between friends. Yes, we can make fun of each other. There's a line, though. But yes, we can joke with each other. God made laughter. God made humor. He wants us to partake in those things. It's we have corrupted his good gifts that is what makes it wrong. I'm not talking about the sarcasm that everybody laughs at and everybody's cool with and no one's feelings have been hurt. I'm talking here, though, about the, the biting sarcasm, the sarcastic comment you made, hoping that person hears it so they'll change their ways. The biting sarcasm that there's a little bit of truth behind it, but everybody's going to laugh at this. And then I can always, if they their feelings get hurt, I can always be like, I was just joking. Why are they so sensitive? Why are they taking it this way? I was just making a joke. I don't really believe that. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. It's almost like the Bible has thought of all of our excuses. Because we make these excuses all the time. This is old self-speech. This is how we are being called away from here. And let me just 
put it down <laughs> point blank. Hashtag just saying and hashtag keeping it real does not lighten the blood. That does not make it okay. Okay? Knock it off. Hashtag keeping it real. Stop doing it. Hashtag keeping it real. And I'm the chief of sinners here. I'm the chief of sinners. And just saying is my saying. I feel like I started just saying because I would say something, realize, oh, that didn't go over nearly like I thought it was going to. Just saying, just saying. And everybody kind of giggles and we move past it like it never happened. That's old self-speech. That's old self-thinking. And we are told here to put it off. A third way is gossip. I know some of the ladies in this room are thinking, oh, he didn't bring that up. Men, we do this too. So if you just tuned out because you're a man and you're, oh, that's a female problem, it's not. Okay. One, I've had conversations. Two, I've led conversations. And three, I just know people. We like to gossip. We like the juicy tidbits, right? Gossip is a very big deal to God. <coughs> Romans 1, 29-31. Listen to this list. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Right smack in the middle of that list that says <coughs> gossip. Why is that on that list? Because <laughs> gossip can ruin someone. Maybe more so than literally hurting them. It is not something we should just toss around and gossip about people. Oh, they won't hear me say it. How many, how many times have you started a conversation and gone, okay, they're not around. Jonathan, let me tell you something that this guy did. Why are you looking? If, if they can't hear it, then don't say it. That's an easy rule. And don't cloak this with, it's not gossip because it's true. I know this is true. I was there. I saw it happen. Therefore, this isn't gossip. Is it necessary, though? Is the person you're telling going to help this situation? Or do you just like telling stories? And you know it's true, so you can cloak it with, it's not gossip because I know it's true. One, you don't know it's true because everyone's perception of everything is different. I've watched enough crime documentaries recently, thank you Chris Dindy, that I can see that people's stories are different. They see the same thing and they see it differently. And then they tell the story and somebody goes to jail that shouldn't have, or sometimes somebody doesn't go to jail that should have, whichever. But gossip can ruin someone. It can ruin their lives, even if it's true. Is it necessary? Does it really need to be stated? And P.S., we all know what you're doing when you ask for prayer requests and then tell some big long story, okay? That's gossip. It ain't holy gossip. It's just gossip. So stop doing that too. The last way we will discuss here today that this tearing down comes in is criticism and complaining. These things go hand in hand. However, we do need to recognize one thing. Criticism can go either way. There is a such thing as good, constructive criticism. Tomorrow, I will meet with Pastor Eric. If all things go according to plan, we will meet together. He will tell me how bad of a sermon this was. I will say, but we were in a library. I've already got that locked and loaded. I'm ready. I'm ready with that excuse. But he will tell me 
ways in which I can improve, ways in which it was good, all of these things. And you know what? I know he's doing that to help me, to, to build me up, to let's see what we can do differently next time, all of those things. But he gives me honest feedback. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it stinks. And I'm grateful for him and a lot of men in this room that are honest with me when things are out of place because they come at me from a place of love. They're not criticizing me just to tear me down. Proverbs 27.6, I think it's on your sheet, says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So when someone tells you something you don't really want to hear, but they're doing it from a place of friendship and love because they want to build you up, it still hurts. It still stings a little. And your natural reaction is, Oh, yo, you do this. I hear this. Every day where I work at Hope House, somebody will point something out. It's true. I've seen it happen. And that person immediately won't go, I don't do that. They'll just point something out that the other person does. Because tearing that person down to their level makes them feel better about the fact that, yeah, they were wrong. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I am thankful for people in my life that point out blind spots to me. But let's be honest. Not all your criticism is faithful wounds of a friend. It's not offered to build people up. It's, it's offered to tear them down, usually out of a place of jealousy or out of a place of conviction in your own life. And I'm just going to bring everybody back down to my level. Are we complaining about someone to someone else, which can also be construed as gossip? But are we, are we complaining about our jobs to someone else? Are we complainers as people of Jesus? And should we be? You ever wonder if someone is always coming to you, complaining to you about someone else? They're just always... Do you ever wonder, what are they saying about me when they talk to that person? If you're not, you should, because that's probably what's happening. We don't want to be the person that's always complaining, that people are thinking... What are they saying about me when I'm not around? What are they gossiping about me when I'm not around? Negativity and joy do not go hand in hand. This does not mean complaints are not valid at times, that we can't have legitimate complaints or legitimate criticisms that are in an effort to help the situation. But if you are known as a negative Nancy in your Christian walk, what part of that says I've got joy in Christ? What part of that conveys a, a lifestyle of joy, not happiness? There are things to be unhappy about. We talked about that and be angry about a few weeks ago. But what part of being negative and just complaining about everything all the time tells people, hey, come live this life with me. Come live this joy-filled, Christ-like life with me and we can complain together. At this point, we have to consider why does God spend so much time in Scripture on this? Why does He spend so much energy on this topic of the tongue and the way we talk and how we say things and what we say? Why is this such a big deal to Him when there's murders going on and child trafficking is going on and there are so many there are so many bigger issues that God shouldn't He be worried about those? James three five and six says so. Also, the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining 
the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Notice something here. It does not say the tongue is like a fire. It says the tongue is a fire. It will set things on fire. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones. That's true. But words will make you go home and cry yourself to sleep. Words will make you, will haunt you for years. A bruise goes away. Just give me the bruises. Words stick with us. And this is good and bad words. I can still remember some of the greatest things my dad ever said to me when I was like 13 years old. I can point, I can take you to a spot the size of this road where we were when he said it. Because it meant so much to me. I can also take you to the times where he was disappointed in me and show you where I was. It's usually at the end of the belt. But either way, like that's where I was. Okay? But I can remember those things because words stick with us. They have so much power. Think about it. This is not holistically, but we are made in God's image. What is one way we are different from animals? We have we can talk. We have words. And I, please, I get it. Parrots, they can talk. Chimpanzees can do the little thing. I get it. But they don't they are not doing this. Like they don't care about their souls. They don't care about how one parrot said something about a cracker or a cracker that he wanted about the other parrot and their feelings got hurt. And now there's a Okay? This separates us from it. We are created in God's image because we have words. Again, that's not the only reason. That is a way. Words are not just words. They mean something. We are able to do so much with our words. But too many times, too many times we use them in old self ways. We use them to give off a stench of death instead of giving a stench of life. Think about this. How does God use his words? God uses his words to give life. This entire planet and universe and galaxy and solar system and all of the things that we know about were created by what? God's words. He spoke them into existence. Jesus in John chapter 1 is called the word. What does Jesus come to do? To give life. This is the point. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see, we see our tongues can be used for death. That's old self. That is what we are called here, commanded here to put off, to put off our old self. Too many people see language and corrupting talk and rotten speech as a smaller issue of the faith. And God seems to put an awful lot of emphasis on it. And I think the reason why is clearly stated in Matthew chapter 12. Says you, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Is anyone in here like, that verse is in there. Anybody think that's good news today? I don't. Think about it. You are going to be to give an account for all the words you wish you could take back. All the words you spoke in the heat of the moment in that argument that shouldn't have even happened anyway, that you can't even remember what it was about, but you said some things you shouldn't have said. All of those words, all the words you text, keyboard warriors, all the words you type on Facebook or when you're in a debate or when you're talking bad about somebody or you're in a secret, secret group message that this person's not in and I hope he doesn't read this. If you can't say it in this group message because he's not in it, 
All of the jokes you've told. All of the jokes you've laughed at. And repeated because they, man, they were funny. That's a good one. I'm stealing that. All of the, the words you spoke when you weren't really informed on a topic. Or you were just speculating or assuming. Who wants this? Who wants to be judged by that? Who thinks they're okay if they are judged by that? Not one person in here would raise their hand. So why would God put so much emphasis on this? And here's your answer. It happened right before the verse we just read in Matthew chapter 12. It says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why David prayed in Psalm 19:14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He knew that words reveal our heart. God is saying, I want you to really get this. Whatever's in here comes out here. So when you start thinking about your speech this week, or if you're thinking right now about your speech from this past week, it wasn't just words coming out of your mouth flippantly. It was what was really in here. And you may think, no, I don't really think that. God's word would say that you do. God's word would say that that's what's in your heart. And it has revealed to me that my heart is much more rotten than I would have liked to admit two weeks ago. It pains me to know this about myself. It pains me to know that my heart is as rotten as it is. Because I would have liked to have told you, because I'm a pastor, because I study God's word, that I'm past that. I've moved on to the bigger issues of the faith. I'm more refined than that. I'm more sanctified than that. So even when I do say things like this, I don't really mean them because I'm, I'm past that in my walk with Jesus. And God would say it doesn't seem like it because what's in here is coming out here and it's rotten. And I want to apologize publicly to all of you for the way that I've talked to some of you, the way I've talked around. The criticism thing, that's not what I'm confessing to here. So I don't want y'all to go here thinking, Pastor Justin, we're talking about all of us. But the sarcastic jokes and the off-color humor, and I don't do it from, from here because this is a sermon. We, we should really put our best foot forward, right? We should really talk a certain way and be very theological and refined. I would never use those jokes in a sermon then why am I using them anywhere else? Why is my heart in check when I'm here, but it's not in check after service is over and I'm in there? And I want to apologize to many of you because I've led by poor example in this place. And some of you rightfully so are thinking, well, he should be hearing this. I should. And if you had told me two weeks ago that somebody was preaching a sermon about the words they used and the jokes they made, and getting truly upset about it, I probably would have laughed and been like, really? Like that small of an issue? So I know you might be, I've, I've had weeks to mull this over and y'all are just getting it, right? So as you think about this, if you do at all in the, in the future, I want you to really think this is not a small issue. And I pray that you forgive me. I pray that you accept my apology. And I also pray 
that the constructive criticism we talked about a few minutes ago, that you will exercise towards me and call me out when you hear me making jokes or saying things that I should not say. And then give me grace when I want to push back and be like, yeah, but. Okay? That's what I'm asking of you as, as your pastor. You see, God is after our hearts in every single thing that we do. Every inch of life. He wants it. And we cannot be claiming to follow Jesus in the big things if we're not following him even in the way we talk, the way we speak to one another. God would say those two things do not go together. He wants our hearts. Remember, they don't seal our identity. They reveal our identity. Therefore, words do matter. This is why this verse does not just tell us what to put off. It tells us what to put on. Tells us to put on something. We can't just wander through life like monks. Well, I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I just won't speak. It tells us to put on words that are good for building up so that they may give grace to those who hear. I was at my grandmother's funeral this past week. That's why I was out last week. Thank you for allowing that, by the way. I cannot tell you how good it felt to just talk about grandma. Just tell stories I've heard thousands of times, jokes we've made about her thousands of times. That woman seriously saved styrofoam cups. Like if she went and got a big gulp, dumb and dumber style, that cup was in her house, washed and rewashed for months. So we're sitting around at the at the <clears throat> gathering or whatever. We got all this food brought to us. People bring us styrofoam cups every single time we threw one away. We made a joke, man. Grandma will be mad at us right now. She was still here. Because we're throwing a styrofoam cup away. That woman saved. At, we opened the cabinets. Literally, I'm not joking right now. One of them <coughs> fell out. And we were like, ah, Grandma. So telling stories, hearing kind words from you, text messages from people in this church who ne- they never met my grandmother. Sorry for your loss. We love you. We're praying for you. Those words meant something to me. Quickly, one of the funniest stories I can tell, I'm not going to tell it now, but if you want to hear it, just come up. Keyword is spark plug. I'll know what you mean. Just come up, say, hey, I want to hear the spark plug story. Trust me, it's worth your time. But the text that I received, the prayers that I had, the receiving line we had where people were coming through, I didn't know any of these people. They're old. I only went down there when I was less than a teenager. Like, I don't know who any of these people are, but they would just say, your grandmother was the kindest, sweetest, gentlest, most loving, godly woman we've ever met. They truly meant something. They, as Proverbs 18.21 would say, they gave life to me. They spoke life into me, even at a very sad time. And these are the words we are to put on. These are the words we are to speak to and about others. Now, it does say as fits the occasion. There's a caveat in there, so we don't just have this blanket set of things we say. If y'all had been sending me a lot of congratulations texts this week, it wouldn't have really spoken life. It wouldn't have torn me down, but I would have been highly confused. Okay, We do need to say the right things. We do have to think through our words because they matter. But as fits the occasion, what is the intention? To give grace to those who hear. And this is where the rubber truly meets the road. This is where we get the answer as to why these matter, why they are so important. It's because they are intended to be conduits of God's grace to other people. They are intended to extend the very same grace that we have received from 
Jesus, if we have truly seen and savored the grace of Jesus in our lives, then our hearts will explode with that joy so much so that it will affect even the way we talk, what we say, how we say it, tone, intention, motivation, because it's what's in here. If Jesus is truly in here, Jesus will come out of here. And that doesn't mean you're you just Jesus juke everyone, right? And no matter what they're talking about, you, well, Jesus, eh. No, it's you give grace, biblical, gospel-centered grace through your words, no matter the occasion, because Jesus is so much in here that he has to come out here. And you cannot contain it. So you talk about the grace you have been shown. It will change the way we tell jokes. It will change the way we laugh at jokes. It will change the way we talk to unbelievers and believers. We will call unbelievers to believe the gospel. We will call believers back to the gospel because grace is in here and we will extend that grace. It is the realization that Jesus was torn down so that we could be built up in the gospel and then we could build others up by putting off corrupting talk and putting on grace-filled, life-giving talk. Is realizing that people don't deserve this grace from us. People have wronged us and they deserve to hear about it. We extend grace because that's what we should have heard from God. We should have heard, depart from me. I never knew you. Instead, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God uses his words to give life because of the blood of Jesus. That Jesus has covered all of our sins, including... (coughs) Every careless word that we speak that we are going to have to give an account for, my account's going to sound a little something like this, Jesus. Because I was careless with my words at times, even after I came to know Jesus. My heart was rotten at times, and yet you have promised me, God, through your words. Because my words matter, God's words matter even more. And praise be to Jesus that the words that he speaks over us are not of condemnation, but of grace. He speaks those words, and they are truer than our words. So when I have to give an account for my words, this doesn't mean I'm going to go and just say whatever I want and then claim Jesus at the end. But I know I've messed this up. I know I'm going to mess this up again. My account is going to be Jesus. So may we remember chapters 1 through 3 today. May we be reminded of our true identities. May we repent. I'm not going to say if needed. Every person in here should have a heart of repentance today for the words that they speak, the thoughts that they have, the intentions of their words, the intentions of the things that they say to and about people. But may we repent. May we ask Jesus to reveal ways that we have been blinded to this or that we have made it not such a big deal or that we have ignored the Holy Spirit's pleading for far too long. And may we ask the Spirit for strength to change. But may our hearts reflect the heart of the one who was willing to die for our rotten hearts, for our old selves, and for our corrupt and careless words. May our words go from this place and reflect that grace. May it reflect the praise of him who has saved us in our rebellion. May our words give grace to those who hear in the same way that we have received it, giving life not carrying death with them. And may they reveal a heart that has truly, truly, truly been arrested and saved by Jesus. May we be a people of grace, even in our speech. Let's pray.